Presenting the podcast of the season in one corner, we have Cinema Steph. In the other corner, we have Steph from Combs, which is me. And adjudicating is producer Bernie. The showdown of the century. The showdown of the century. Who will come out of this podcast episode alive? It's the Watershed Cinema Podcast in February 2020, 2024. That's our Iron Claw intro for the month. Yeah, out Feb 9th. Shall I tell you what about the t-shirt that I'm wearing then? Um, go on then. What did, what did you, what, what, what are you wearing? Th- thank you so much what, for asking. Actually, do, do you know Steph. what I watched yesterday that I really loved? What did you watch uh, this, yesterday? We can circle back to your t-shirt from oh, this. Oh, okay, great. I watched the new <laughs> movie documentary, uh, John Galliano. High, well, High and Low, John Galliano. Oh my God, how was it? <sighs> I loved it. I didn't. I, I only knew John Galliano by name. Do you know what I mean? I wasn't that familiar with it. What a dog! Anyway, what are you wearing? Oh, um, for, for the listeners at home. Oh, for the listeners at home who can hear my T-shirt, <laughs> <laughs> um, I am wearing my brand new T-shirt, which I need to remind me what what it do says. You, do you I'm, actually keep forgetting? Well, you, you you can you can read out loud what text is on my T-shirt cry your eyes mate that's the power of cinema that's right um my good friend ness gave me this t-shirt for my christmas she designed it for me based on a quote from me well done i said i apparently said uh cry your eyes mate that's the power of cinema but completely forgot because it arrived at your door and you were like steph did you did you get me a t-shirt yeah i was like (laughs) like because i knew that you and and Ellie, who also works in comms, got me something for my Christmas. But for your Christmas? <laughs> or was it for my birthday? <laughs> no, it was just that your Christmas as opposed to anyone else's Christmas. My personal Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was, yeah, so I asked, did you get me this? But no, no, you got me something else, which I think I'll wear for the next oh, podcast episode. Yeah. So... Do you, like, do you like it? I do. Yeah. I, I, in my head, it feels like it should say, cry your eyes out. But is that a purposeful kind of illusion there? I, I vaguely remember cutting? saying it out loud. But again, because I don't remember who I said it to, that's apparently what I said. Fashion. Fashion. Mm. Hello, everyone. John Galliano. John Galliano. <laughs> that's next month, though. Mm. This month is February. This month is February. We're back. Hello. Post New Year. Happy New Year. The, the croakiness of last podcast has, has gone. Full I of life. Why. Full of spirit. <laughs> <laughs> I had a holiday, you know. Did you? I had two weeks off. Two weeks? Yeah. I just booked in all the films and then I thought, I, c- I can have a holiday films. now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Yeah. No, you've got to watch all the TV. Yeah. Well, I did watch, I, I don't know, I talked about The Curse on the last podcast. Big fan of the curse. Excellent finale. You're not watching the traitors, though, are you? The trailers. The traitors. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Do you watch trailers? <laughs> now and then. Now and then. No, I don't watch the traitors. Do you watch the traitors? I feel like everyone else does, and I, I, the picture I have of it from the bits of snippets of conversations and tweets that I've seen, I, I don't, I don't understand. 
Claudia Winkleman, right? Claudia, it's Claudia Winkleman. And lots of people saying yourself, like they do on The Apprentice when they're like, myself, yourself, you know, and they can't speak properly. Oh, I didn't notice that. Oh. oh. Are that you watching it, Producer Bernie? Um, you are. <coughs> do you rate it? I love it. Mm. The neckline of Claudia Winkleman. Mm. The fringe. Mm-hmm. They're almost meeting now. Oh, really? Yeah. And she One wore like a fringe will. look, didn't she? Where it was just like layer cake of fringes. And I was I like, that is very this. good. Fashion. Yeah. But the movies are back as well. Yes. This isn't the TV podcast. No, no, no. Cry, cry your eyes, mate. <laughs> it's the era of cinema. <laughs> February. Feb. What a month. Well, well I mean, but we've also just come January. Off the back of such a stacked month in January. I mean, what we had Boy in the Heron, mm-hmm. Poor Things, mm-hmm. All of Us Strangers. Mm-hmm. It's been so busy in the building. It's been lovely. Yeah, it's been like sell out, sell out, sell out, sell out. Continue, fingers crossed. Yeah, touch wood. that was me touching the table, um, which is wood. Anyway, <laughs> <sighs> that's audio description, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. like a closed caption, but for your ears. <laughs> well, you know, when I said I was full of life and spirit, I'm uh-huh. now starting to doubt. <laughs> <laughs> But I want to start off by talking about something that I've literally just slid into the program very last minute. Um, because oh, yeah. I've been wanting to play this for like over a year. Well, I mean, it, it played at Cannes back in 2022 mm-hmm. and then has just been absent. No, like, Is this there a was film no that- news on it, anyone picking it up. Um, it was one of those that had just kind of been sat there and not acquired and no mm-hmm. one was quite sure what was happening with it. And then I heard rumours that someone had picked it up, but that it was going straight to streaming or video on demand. Anyway, the film I'm talking about is Kelly Reichardt's new film, Showing Up. Yes, which um, I've literally just put on sale <laughs> I know, I, just I before recording this podcast. <laughs> comms and box office yesterday. And I was like, can, can we turn it around in a day, guys? Can we get it up? Somehow, yeah. <sighs> I should make uh, these demands more often. <laughs> Yeah, maybe not. We have a really good relationship right now. <laughs> yeah, let's not spoil it. No. <laughs> but thank you. We're You're playing welcome. it from um, just over the weekend, from Feb 2nd until the 4th, so at the start of the month. Um, it's a follow-up to First Cow, not in any relation to that film at all, but just as in <laughs> that was her last Was film. that a Western? Yeah, that was like mm-hmm. a, well, like an alternative take on a Western. Mm-hmm. It was a really soft, gentle film. I loved it. I'm excited to see showing up because it gives me the satirical cringe of being in the art world as as someone who went to art school and mm. knowing the kind of satirical undertones of like yeah i'm working on my big important piece and you're actually just kind of like just faffing about yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and kind of just like just like talking the big talk so i feel very seen <laughs> <laughs> the film's about a, a struggling portland artist mm. who works with ceramics mm-hmm. um which is michelle williams which is michelle williams in a pretty amazing performance she plays such an irritating little character in this. <laughs> i loved it it was like again it's that that borderline kind of cringe comedy thing but not so much comedy but just well you're a bit like wincing as you watch yeah. but in a good way as an artist, she's kind of plagued with personal problems throughout the film, like her neighbour, who's also her landlady, turns out to also be kind of like a fellow artist at the same school, is, has failed to fix the hot water in her apartment, so is she that can't Hong have a Chow? shower. Yes, mm-hmm. another great performance. Um, and like her cat nearly kills a pigeon in the streets and she feels obliged to look after the pigeon. And it's just all these quite mundane little problems mm-hmm. that just like really grate her and make her feel like she can't complete her art project, you know, and it's this 
kind of crisis film about quite like a little, little insular yeah problem which in the grand scheme of things isn't but the, but, but that that's but to her it matters hugely which is the point it's it's a look at uh, and also she feels um oh like, like she hasn't fulfilled her potential you know she's in her like early 40s or whatever late mm. 30s and just feels she should have had her moment by now and it's got andre 3000 in yes yeah. in a pop-up surprise role he plays uh what a the, the technician who, who fires all their ceramics in the kiln oh that having a good relationship with the technician to Vitally get your work important. done i mean that is touched on in this film yeah <laughs> Oh okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But yeah, it was it was beautiful, and you know, ever since I saw it, I've been really wanting to. Well, even before I saw it, I've been wanting to play it here. And then I got an email from the distributor like two days ago, being like, "We can now take theatrical bookings," and I was like, "Ah, oh, gonna jump on it." <laughs> and and jump we did. Yeah. So it's on, on sale now. Get your tickets. Yeah. You're Lizzie, right? I can't figure out what class this is, but I really want to join it. know what I'm supposed to do without hot water. My show's open on Friday. I'll be free to deal with it after that. I have a show too, you know. You're not the only one with a deadline. I know, but I have two shows, which is insane. Hey, give me a push. When's my hot water coming back on? <sighs> I'm on it. Easy on the cheese. It's for everyone. I don't want to run out. Cheese is out on the table. You shouldn't put cheese out on the table if you don't want people to eat it. You know, I'm sick of not having hot water, Joe. It's such a total drag. It's such a shitty thing to do to a person. I'm sick of it. Have a great night. You're not supposed to have any cheese. Also from the second, which we're previewing from the 27th of Jan, we have Jonathan Glazer's, I would call it a masterpiece, the zone of interest. I'm um, super excited to see it. It's it's just. I mean, like excited. It seems to be kind of the wrong yeah. thing to say about a, a film like this. It's like the same the same kind of uh, weird relationship you have. Well, I had like, to calling it like my favorite film out of LFF. I was like, well, yeah. it feels like a weird thing to call your favorite or to say you really liked or enjoyed because it's not. That's not the experience yeah. you have. Of the it. subject matter is kind of. Yeah, well, it's it's an adaptation of Martin Amis's novel of the the same name. Who actually um obviously died on on the eve of its premiere at Cannes. Oh, is it a book adaptation? Yeah. Ah. Not, like, directly. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously the word adaptation is, is in there, but... Um, but it, it follows kind of the everyday domesticity of Auschwitz commandant Rudolf Hess and his family who live, like, just outside mm -hmm. the camp, um, the zone of interest. Um, and it's kind of like an indirect representation of horror. Because mm -hmm. um, it's, like, it's all, like... Yeah, you never you margins, never see inside right? the well, like with one exception, you never see inside the camp. Mm -hmm. You're just kind of left outside, just mm. viewing their kind of daily life and routines. And you know, it opens on them all sat by like a lake having a picnic. Um, as has been mentioned in a lot of the reviews, it's um, kind of aiming to to put to to the screen the idea of Hannah Arendt's banality. You know, her banality yeah. of evil is a kind of encapsulation of how those horrors were kind of allowed to happen, as it were, within mm. a civilised society, or supposedly civilised society.
yeah, there's a there's a real um, kind of feeling of nausea that comes mm. from the parallel of their domestic life and, and the horror just the other side of the wall. Like yeah. you see this barbed wire, and you know they've got these kind of quotidian concerns of yeah, groceries, what mm. new clothes have we got? Oh no, like the garden's looking a little messy today, kind of thing. Because his his wife Hedwig. She has this kind of paradise garden and Mm. she is very attached to the idea of this house and making it this kind of paradise, Mm. their perfect home. Um, And it's it's, Sandra Hula in her, I would say, second standout role of the year after Anatomy of a Fall as well. Yeah, she's doing bits. All over the awards season. And and she's like so committed to the ideal of what their life should be there. And you just, there's such a like uh, a technical detachment to the way that they talk about what is happening just several meters over. And it's got a staggering score by Mika Levi that just kind of accentuates that that weird supernatural kind of sense of horror you get. Um, And he has this approach to filming um, that I read about where he he kind of left cameras in in the rooms yeah it was kind of like a surveillance like approach big, big, kind of big brother yeah um so the crew would like sit outside or, or in a building next door and and the family well the, the actors playing the family would repeat their kind of set routines and actions sometimes for up to like an hour at a time so you get this real kind of sense of them being immersed in those mm-hmm. roles and daily tasks to the point where they they're kind of just performing automatically mm-hmm. um it, it's it's a very cool way to kind of record a film i suppose well i think i think it allows you to get certain nuances out of a performance mm. that when people don't know which as you know which moment from it's that gonna hour is going to be used it, uh, i guess it's more of kind of like a verges on like the kind of method staying in character kind of acting yeah totally um but either way it, it produces some amazing performances and like the artwork has been very very cool like where it's the again it feels weird to call it cool when it's such a heavy topic but it's really evocative and crisply done with that kind of black um, Mm. background which again it's that kind of evoking that there is a supernatural element Mm. to these obviously there's nothing actually supernatural in the film it doesn't verge into like the magical realist or anything like that but just like the scale of horror is such that it provokes those kind of unearthly feelings which as you say are kind of conveyed very well on the poster mm. and then have you seen the, the trailer there's the alternative one which is like it kind of looks like a flower mm. like a red flower or like a poppy yeah yeah but because the graphics it, it's got got a really strange like gradient into black yeah and i'm like oh that's a very good representation visual, kind of visual representation yeah. of like oh it looks nice but it's not nice is it it's really rotten yeah. when you look inside yeah yeah, so we're previewing that from the end of Jam, but it opens from the 2nd of Feb. And we've got um, Professor Tim Cole from the University of Bristol, who's a specialist on um, like the Holocaust and memorialising um, on Sunday 4th, mm-hmm. the matinee. And we've also got the return of our Thought in Action collaboration with UE Philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, this will be the first film of the year that we're hosting a discussion afterwards on uh, Tuesday 6th of Feb. I think it's a rich one to unpack, and we'll have some really great guest speakers for that that's your um cup of tea and come along there'll be follow-up screenings as part of our thought in action program over the next few months we're just nailing down the program nice yeah nice. 
I'm going to jump around a bit in the month just because these two are quite thematically linked. But we've mm-hmm. got um, a one-off screening of Steve McQueen's film Occupied City on Feb 24th. That looks amazing as well. Yeah, it, it's quite an epic. It's got a runtime of nearly four and a half hours. So it's quite a durational commitment. exercise, a commitment. Mm. Um, we've put it on at like 3 p.m. or whatever, so you can, you can have your dinner after. But there is an interval as well mm-hmm. for people concerned about their bladders. That's me. <laughs> yeah. But the film is kind of a chronicle. It's informed by St- Stephen McQueen's partner is Bianca Stutka, um, who wrote a book called Atlas of an Occupied City, which she's described as a travel guide to the past of Amsterdam. She wrote and helped produce the film. Um, and she also last year directed Three Minutes of Lengthening, which we screened. Yeah, that, that, that was, was really a cool. Feature documentary about like a, just the segment, taking a segment yeah. of a home movie shot in 1938 um, in a Jewish community in a Polish village. Um, and she kind of just unpacked that over the course of like a 70 minute feature whatever Mm. uh, like a second by second deconstruction and in doing so a reconstruction of like a time in a community (laughs) and in a similar way i mean that was only what 68 70 minute film but time is stretched differently in this they're stretched in both that was a lengthening of a short bit of home footage this you're really like sat in it do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. kind of like the film yeah it like maps effectively the holocaust in amsterdam it it charts the fate of amsterdam's jewish population through the nazi occupation Mm -hmm. predominantly through through this quite dry and neutral narration which is clearly an intentional creative choice to kind Mm -hmm. of create that sense of um i don't know uh, like like a dispassionate figure Mm. telling this quite factual history and story um is the trailer quite like representative of that kind of narration. Can't say I've seen the trailer. I watched the film at LFF, so okay. I'm bothered to watch the trailer okay. after. I shall let you know. <laughs> but it takes basically the city street by street, and it uses no archival imagery, and it surveys like over uh, 130 addresses or more, like as they exist in the city today, mm-hmm. or, or rather as they existed at the time it was shot, um, which was actually kind of during the pandemic. So there's that, that bleeds through a lot in the film, uh, you know, as they move through particular parts of the city, you come across like um, kind of like, like anti-mask and anti-vax protests and things like that. So it's, it's it doesn't shy away from it being a film made in, you know, whatever, t- 2020, 2021. It's, mm. it's not trying to be just a kind of blank modern Amsterdam. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it was shot on 35mm and incorporates kind of like sounds of the city and fragments of music which were composed especially. Um, and it's just, it's a really conceptually bold idea, I think, mm. um, to ground you so heavily within a modern day city and then juxtapose that with its history purely through that narration uh, in such a fluid way. And I, th- I think there's something to be said for the way that both Occupied City and Zone of Interest, in a kind of final coda sequence for Zone of Interest, which I won't spoil, but it kind of brings us back to the present day mm-hmm. in a really evocative way that, you know, is a really poignant kind of end note. Um, and between that and then Occupied City, there's a real, like, kind of link to... Um, I, I was reading this review of another upcoming film in May, The Beast, um, by Bertrand Bonello. David Ehrlich wrote a review for IndieWire and he says that in the works of Bonello that the past is always present and that just feels like what these two films, Mm. Occupied City and Zone of Interest are also kind of conjuring up Mm -hmm. is that kind of relevance of what happened then to today Mm. um, and making that really felt in quite contrasting approaches and ways and styles. 
It sounds like the trailer is very representative of there we of, go. <laughs> of of what you say the film is about. Then, well, we're only screening it the once, so um, do do come out and see it because I would say that it, it you know, I, obviously I say this about every film, but it it really um, is one to be seen in the cinema. Yeah, like it, there's something about the, the long duration that it just wouldn't be the same if you were sat there watching it on your TV or mm-hmm. watching it in parts. Mm. You have to kind of get immersed into it. It's a bit like another long favorite film of mine, Bellatar's Satan Tango. It's like you can't split that up episodically and, and watch it in pieces. It just, it just doesn't work. In May 1940, Amsterdam was taken over by the Germans. Immediately, they set the clock forward. So it was the same time in Amsterdam as in Berlin. The weather report disappeared from the newspapers. It was now a military secret. All streetlights were turned off. Dutch organizations were Nazified or forbidden. Soon, the Nazis started to ban Jews from parks, pools, shops, cafes and schools, from all public life. Music by Jewish composers could no longer be played. In 1941, they started rounding people up. In 1942, the deportations began. On a slightly, well, I was going to say on a slightly lighter note, but it, I mean, it's got its own kind of tragedy to it, but the the Iron Claw we have on, on Feb 9th, Hotly anticipated, I think, yeah. from a lot of corners of the internet, at least. Yeah, um, and the, um, the internet me- still man at the moment. Jer- Jeremy Allen White. That's the one. There's, from, uh, from Calvin Klein. Your favourite TV thing? Yes, and, and the Calvin Klein. From the Calvin Klein. <laughs> My favourite is the Calvin Klein over the. No. Me- is it called the menu? No, no that's bear. the bear, right? I've not seen yeah, it. Yeah, you know my favourite TV show, yeah. The Menu. <laughs> <laughs> I read a really good like deconstruction of Calvin Klein ads in the New Yorker the other day. Did you? Send it to you. I recommend Googling it. it oh, okay. Really interesting. Anyway, that's beside the point. The Iron Claw, <sighs> new film from Sean Durkin. Mm-hmm. Someone described it, um, which I thought was quite accurate, as a thrumming power ballad of a movie. Yeah, they, they've got their shaggy, shaggy cuts. Yeah. And yeah, I won't those mullets, do that. terrible haircuts, <laughs> and then they're all lined up there in their uh, real southern kind of formal suits at a Ooh, wedding, yeah, doing their that, like, line that dancing clip type where they're thing. All, like, Zac Efron has not lost his his High School Musical dance training, has he? Because you watch them all dance, it's like, oh, he's uh, committed. What he's... time is it? Summertime. Exactly. It's our vacation. Time's it. Time of our lives. Scream and shout. I had that on DVD. Anyway, my sister had uh, all the soundtracks and Oof. for Hairspray, and she played them on repeat, Ooh. like during my whole teenage years. Sorry for bringing back trauma here. Dark times. <laughs> <laughs> but the, no, the Iron Claw is about a famous, well, famous within wrestling. So I, I hadn't actually heard of them before. No, the, the Von Erich family. Mm. I don't know whether it's just because we're British or maybe just because we're not really into our sports. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was almost a better way to go in because I knew nothing about the actual real events and, mm-hmm. and how things ended. Um, so <laughs> I wasn't spoiled at all by oh, yeah, having known you don't know. <laughs> the actual biographies of that band. There's something also to be said of the, the link between, I think, all of us strangers and the Iron Claw in, in kind of finding softness and tenderness um, mm. in unexpected kind of places. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, finding alternatives to traditional masculinity. Not to call every <laughs> soft film about men an unpacking of masculinity, but <laughs> I think it's kind of true in this case. Um, and, and they both play with grief in a quite interesting way mm. without wanting to spoil anything. Um, but someone did describe the Iron Claw as the virgin suicides for sons of difficult fathers. <laughs> and I have to say, that's a very apt tagline. <laughs> I wasn't actually familiar with Sean Durkin's other films no, up to this point, because I went and watched an exhibitor preview of this. And I have to say, when I first saw it, I wasn't hugely sold on it. Right. It makes a couple of creative decisions that don't work for me, mm. but they worked for a lot of other people in the room. And I can see that, you know, it's one of those things where maybe it's just not for you. my taste. Yeah. But then, uh, you know, having felt that way, I, I went back and watched his previous films because I was just curious mm -hmm. and I've been wanting to watch The Nest for a while, you know, with Jude Law and Carrie Coon. Mm. So I was like, this is a good moment. I was also chatting to my friend and he was like, but Sean Durkin's amazing. So I was like, okay, let me go, let me go do my homework. And I loved them. The Nest and, and Martha Marcy May Marlene, two of his previous features were phenomenal. And, and in fact, M Martha Marcy May Marlene was based on, it was kind of an expansion of a short he made mm -hmm. called Mary Last Scene, which my friend sent to me. And it's one of the best short films I think I've ever seen. It's a crisp like 10 minutes. And it, 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 both of those are about a cult basically mm. um, and a young woman being kind of taken into a cult. And then in, in the feature in Martha Marcy May Marlene, it's kind of, um, looking at ha that lasting kind of effect and trauma on how she relates then to mm -hmm. other people in society and tries to re-enter and live a life apart from the cult. Mm -hmm. um, and actually having watched that, the Iron Claw and, and the family of the Von Eriks then starts to feel quite Cult cultish, mm -hmm. especially in the way that their like, dad kind of picks favourites and plays them against each other while trying to keep them as a really tight unit and not mm -hmm. let them kind of fall away from the family in any way. Divide and conquer. Yeah. It is kind of a really interesting just study of those power dynamics within a family situation. And it's kind of heartbreaking. It's, it is quite beautiful, um, even if I do beautiful, still have problems with one particular scene. Okay. But you'll see. Ever since I was a child, people said my family was cursed. Mom tried to protect us with God. Pop tried to protect us with wrestling. He said if we were the toughest, the strongest, nothing had ever hurt us. I believed him. We all did. We're here to restore justice to the wrestling federation that our father built with his own two hands. The hands that were passed down to us. The hands that will deliver the iron claw to you. So what do you think? Like we're alive. I talked to you about something. Dad's too tough on us. You gotta say something. Baby, that's what your brothers are for. Feel that? Ah. You feel that? Ah. That's pressure. I mean, you're pushing too hard. I'm fine, kid. Seriously, I'm just sick. I'm scared, man. It all my head of control. The Bonner will forever be the greatest family in the history of wrestling. Yeah, that's out on the Feb 9th. Also out on Feb 9th is Your Fat Friend, which we had two yes. great previews of with a Q&A in January. Um, loads of new audience members in for that. It was really nice to see. Um, mm. Sold out the first one, so we added the second screening. Was that a sellout as well? No, it was like 140, though. That's nearly a sellout, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, considering that the Q&A for that one then obviously started at like half ten in the evening. <laughs> 
<laughs> thank you for coming, you troopers. Yeah, thank you, Claire, for hosting. Yeah, thank you, Claire. <laughs> it was quite cool, actually, that that last Q&A had kind of, because it was so late on in the evening, had a bit of like mm. kind of late night chat show vibe to it. That's Maybe we cool. should do this more often. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, beautiful film, documentary about Aubrey Gordon, mm. the um, podcaster, blogger, who, you know, as I said, we were really glad to, to host in person here. And it's this yeah amazing documentary that Jeannie Finlay has made, kind of charting Aubrey's rise into to fame and the public eye, mm-hmm. and also just offering a kind of filmic interpretation of a lot of her kind of blog posts, yeah, and the work she's doing online to kind of open up discussions around fatness in society. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really beautiful the way that she incorporates her family into that s- story as well. Um, there's a lot of interviews with her mother yeah, and I've her dad trailer, as well. Yeah. And in fact, her mum came around with her on the, on the Q&A tour. What a lovely woman. Oh. So sweet. She was running the mic for us in the Q&A. Oh. <laughs> I know. She did my job for me. That, 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 is, that is a good supportive parent. Yeah. Coming to your Q&As. Yeah. And you see a lot of her on screen in the film. I just I highly recommend it. It, it really um, opens up a lot of debates and discussions that... that I, I haven't seen kind of given that space in, mm. in kind of mainstream film mm. or, or culture before. And a cool poster as well. Yeah. Very it's cool a play poster. on um that that book. It's a play uh, on a look she God has a she collects like vintage diet books basically. Yeah. And God, there are some there yeah. are some interesting titles there. I mean, it's probably one of the funniest sequences of the film. She takes you through her little collection and yeah, the poster is a play on like yeah, something like uh, God made me fat or something. Or, or God stopped me from being fat or some, yeah. something like that. Should have looked it up. It's but it, it's a very, very cool typeface. Very cool. Yeah. Very groovy. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Do come see it. Just say fat. Not curvy or chubby or chunky or fluffy or more to love or big guy big or husky or obese or overweight. Just say fat. The very first piece was called A Request From Your Fat Friend. And like 30,000 people read it in a week. And I was like, whoa, okay. My aim is to provoke people to question ideas that we've held on to for so long. This is like big tobacco levels of just lying to people. It's like they're trying to pull some Jedi mind trick. It's not a diet. (laughs) At the tender age of 11, I had already attended kids' fat day camps. It is a real paradigm shift to look at someone my size and rather than thinking, boy, I wish that person would put in some effort, thinking, that person may have put in a great deal of effort. And that might have been what got them here. And then from Feb 14th, Valentine's Day, midweek opening, yeah. we've got the Taste of Things. Yummy, yummy. Which we like to call it Tasty Things because it sounds <laughs> like that when you say it fast. Titillating. Yeah. Titillated. Have you seen I've it? I've not. Okay. Go on. Okay, so Tell I'm going to take over. Yes. So this is set, I think it's set in the 19th century France, and it's starring Juliette Binoche and... Benoit Magimel, my favourite from Passive Fiction. That's yeah, the one. I will slide Passive Fiction into and, every podcast. And I, I did not realise that it was the same guy. Cause yeah, it was like completely it, transformed. It, the, the facial hair just completely transformed mm. him. And he is a gourmet... And I think a gourmet is someone who just likes food. Oh, I thought you were just using that as an adjective for him. I was like, yeah, he's no. quite gourmet. <laughs> oh, what? 
<laughs> he is gourmet, but he's also a, a, gourmet. Gour- a gourmet. And um, Juliette Binoche pay- plays his cook. And um, basically the pièce de résistance mm-hmm. in the film is watching the scenes where they cook food. And ultimately, it, I guess the film is about making food and tasting food and eating food as a love language or make uh, um, mm. as a as a form of showing your love to someone else and because wh- when I saw it uh, uh, early morning I, I was not only just kind of like drooling because obviously it's early to be aroused isn't it oh yeah and also <laughs> because like there's no sex in it but there's there a may kind, as well be they, they, like because I was like oh my stars like um, in in some scenes even though there's no there's no sex and not really any heavy petting or anything like that but certain scenes are set up to be like oh my goodness my goodness gracious me I was, I was clutching my pearls like <laughs> you can't show this you can't show Juliette Binoche enjoying this you um, <laughs> yeah yeah the the main thing that. I love and I think that everyone will, will love watching is just see how how they make food on screen in a film like this. It, it's mm. it's just very incredible. I I think I guess if you like the bear, you'll probably yeah. like the taste of things. I mean, as a as a <clears throat> long time watcher of MasterChef, the professionals hugely looking forward to this. <laughs> yeah, no, like Ma- MasterChef has got nothing on yeah. um, how they and the the way that. Uh, the camera there's lots of like sweeping shots because it's kind of like an open plan kitchen and you Mm. kind of get used to the kitchen that they have and you kind of get used to like oh that's where that pot is kept or that's where this spice yeah i remember yeah that's that's what you're trying to do um it's chef's kiss chef's kiss all the puns and it's coming out on valentine's day yeah which is that's a a good valentine's uh, day it's a perfect film release Mm. for valentine's day Fall in love with food and fall in love with your loved one. On Valentine's Day. On Valentine's Day. Day. Or from the 15th, 16th, Yeah, 17th, either or, but not whenever. fast. <laughs> Just I buy don't a think ticket. there are enough films about food, to be honest. No, well, because I, you, I really loved that that doc. Um, I think it was called Jiro Dreams of Sushi. I watched that a couple of years ago. Didn't really rate it. Oh, I quite like the uh, look at the weird, like kind of disciplined, kind of almost monk-like lifestyle that goes into. The, yeah, but I was also like, show. what are you trying to prove? <laughs> you just wouldn't understand. <laughs> uh, well, I, I I I thought it was a bit too earnest and serious. I'm oh, like, okay, okay. Okay. Like no one told you to be in sushi forever. I know, but I like that he's taken up that mantle for himself. Yeah. 
<laughs> I'm not convinced. We'll agree to disagree on that one. <laughs> but Taste of Things, I really recommend it. It's very, very saucy mm. of all sorts. Mm. Both mm. kinds of saucy. It will look and sound beautiful in the cinema. Oh, yeah. Very ASMR. Those speakers. Very ASMR. Like, a, like an Instagram cooking video expanded out to. Well, because, because that's, that's what I've heard is that because like food is so difficult to film, mm. and so that's why I'm just hats off for managing. Yeah, how do you even light a sauce? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it just everything was just like beautiful to look at. A feast, Pick of the month. A feast for the eyes and the ears. Maybe we should do a 4D thing, wafting some oh, of the no. French onions. We're not bringing in 4D films. Do you Scratch and sniff. Do you remember that at Thought Park, Pirates 4D? Did you remember that? Yeah. Well, well I, I went to the Legoland one. You know, they where like they like. They squirt you in the face. Yeah, they squirt you in the face <laughs> and they, they have like the wind machine, you know, as they go around the racetrack. I, I kind of would pay a fair amount of money to go and watch that again, just to, to know whether it corresponds to what I have in my memory. You know, it feels like one of those. Why don't you book it? <laughs> I'll have a look. I'll yeah. look into it. <laughs> yeah. From the from the 16th, mm-hmm. we have two kind of similarly linked films, which I, I, I only kind of noticed the connection when, when <laughs> writing up some little notes for what we have coming out this month for the podcast. And um, one is The Settlers, um, the original title, Los Colonos. That's my attempt Which is a Spanish. Western yeah. as well. So it's kind of... Again, it's like a, one of those kind of neo-westerns, so uh, not quite in the vein of First Cow, but n- not entirely dissimilar. It's in Chile in 1901. Uh, yeah, if, you, if you're hoping for like the kind of gentleness of the cow, then of the, the first, first cow, cow, then... Um, not th- cow. Yeah. Oh, God, it's just cow. too many cows. First cow. Apocalypse cow? Apo- no. Cowspiracy? No. Oh. Um, I'm going off on one. The one, the animation that we showed last year... Lactopolypse. Oh, yeah, yeah. Old man movie. <laughs> Old man movie. Yeah, lots of cows. Yeah. Um, sorry, anyway, first cow. Set in Chile. No, um, settlers. Sorry. In 1901. Um, and it follows these three horsemen embarking on an expedition um, uh, to, to, to go and secure like this vast amount of property or mm. land in, in, in Chile. They're like, accompanied by a, a British lieutenant and American mercenary. Um, so you get this kind of weird dynamic between these different um, kind of cultural values mm-hmm. between the kind of rugged cowboyish American and the um, m- more traditional quote unquote principle. But none of them are pretty, you know, this is a dirty movie about colonialism. It's not right. You, you know, it, it doesn't shy away from what's going <laughs> depicting on, depicting any of the horrors mm-hmm. associated with that uh, and the complicity of like religious institution mm-hmm. as, as a means to make that happen. And, and the kind of distance that using religion affords the, the wealthy landowners for, from the like atrocities that they're actually p- committing on, mm. on that land. And yeah, it's this kind of realization of one of the key characters who's um, kind of half indigenous as, as he comes to realize that their actual mission is to violently remove the indigenous population from mm-hmm. the land. It's, it's not just to, to take that land as property, but it's, it's to rid it of the people who were there before. And then it's his kind of uh, loyalties being torn uh, as he can see that one side is clearly just a, a losing endeavor. It won the Fapresci Prize at Cannes. Um, and I thought it was, a, it's a debut feature. And I thought What's it was an astounding. Prize? It's, 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 a, it's a prize you can win at Cannes for like an emerging Filmmaker. Oh, okay. Um, the one who won it last year was uh, a playground that we played here. Do you remember the one about the two kids in the school? Um, 
Oh, yeah, and, from and Belgium. And, yeah. yeah. And similarly, this, I think, marks a really distinctive mm-hmm. um, voice emerging. And cool. it's, it's shot in um, Academy Ratio. It's got these beautiful kind of... What's Academy Ratio? <laughs> like uh, the boxy, boxy format. Oh, like... So, like, f- how they used to shoot films. Um, I can't remember the exact ratio. Is that what it's called? Academy Ratio? Yeah. So, it's narrower than flat. <laughs> tippy-tappy, tippy-tappy. 1.37 to 1. <laughs> yeah, so so we got scope, which is the widest that we have. Mm. Then we have flat, which is, I guess, the middle. And we yeah, have Academy, Academy yeah. which is square Those are standard ones. And it's got these beautiful kind of title chapter cards that come in uh, mm. against a full bleed of red. And it's kind of bookended by some quite poignant quotes. Um, I highly recommend catching it. Them Indians, you have no idea how much they dislike outsiders roaming their lands. These are their lungs. Don't like these myths. You're doing everything wrong, Lieutenant. Ever since you brought that half-breed along. I don't really like westerns, but um, yeah, it's it's not. Will I like it? it it's quite a tough watch. Mm-hmm. So maybe, maybe given that I me. know your taste, maybe not so much. Maybe for not you. for me. Okay, but. I loved it. I thought it was excellent. Nice. Um, and I'm really excited to see what that filmmaker does next. Um, on the same day, we also have The Promised Land, mm. Danish film starring mm-hmm. Mads Mikkelsen. Um, he plays a former soldier trying to t- tame Jutland. This kind of looks a bit like Napoleon. 18th century Denmark. It, th- there's an element of that to it. He's a much more likable and relatable character than Napoleon. Oh, I see. I mean, he's got his... Uh, his, his, his um, I can't think of the word. Vibes. Mm. <laughs> he's a much more likable character than Napoleon. <laughs> okay. um, he, he's uh, basically emerged out of, of uh, the war um, and, and the military quite impoverished, and he sees this as his chance um, to kind of makes make something of some land. For, yeah. He sees this as his chance to take some land and make something of it. Mm-hmm. So he takes on this un- uninhabitable Danish heath. Um, mm. And in the name of the king, tries to develop it into mm. land that can support um, like farming, basically. Kind of a bit like Godland. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, kind uh, well, of? and the set. It's in all its to do with like yeah, uh, and like days of heaven almost, and going out to the homestead and uh, you know trying to make a living off of the land, mm-hmm. um, and, and like going it alone because everyone's telling him it can't be done. You can't cultivate crops on the heath. Um, mm. You know, it's it's too like boggish and. Dry. No, not that's, too that's, dry. That's my mum. That's actually <laughs> my mum cultivating the land of, uh, like, because because that that's where my hometown is. It's Heathland, oh. and it is like it is hard to cultivate mm. stuff. So, yeah, mir- mirrors. He gets his first potato, parallels. and the joy, <laughs> the joy on his face. Oh. That's not on. my mum can grow potatoes. Oh, there you go. Yeah, they're um, well suited to adverse conditions. Mm. Um, 
And it's this, uh, I mean, that's, it's not just him farming on the land, though there are other kind of political goings on of like the, the local kind of uh, lord who previously had claim to that land um, wanting to take it back. And mm. it's this struggle over um, who has the right to it. And it's quite a bloody struggle. It's, it's not one of words. Bloody struggle. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, it's a kind of beautiful look at the unexpected ties that can emerge between people in those mm-hmm. um, kind of disparate conditions. Um, and the kind of, um, it's, a, it's a quite a found family film. Found family film? Yeah. Not for families. Not quite like shoplifters, but... <laughs> uh, like as in creating your own family Oh, unit, okay, um, yeah. Uh, in a coming together. Yes. Yes. <sighs> <laughs> it's described in New York Magazine. It's the kind of ravishing, rousing epic we don't really get much of anymore. <laughs> Well, it's not queer found family, is it? It's just a found family. Yeah, I mean, yeah. this is 18th century Denmark <laughs> out on the heath. The queers hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the gays? What gays? The only gays, gays, the the only gays here is the gays upon the heathland. <laughs> anyway. Thank you, New York Times. Mads Mikkelsen is excellent as ever. Mm. That man, I mean, you could watch him do anything. You could watch him watch paint dry. Er du kommet til at lykkes med at bygge din koloni derude? Ja. Hvis du bekriger ham, så risikerer du alt. Sjænkelstof var ikke før, han er vundet. Jeg har brug for dig. Du vil bare have din adelige titel, så du kan mænge dig med de fine folk. Jeg må væk herfra. Yeah, those are both out on the 16th. Mm -hmm. Different kind of takes on... T- taming the wilderness, as it were, although that's a, that's an inhabited wilderness in one case, and you're actually forcing people out quite violently. Wild, wild week. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Not sure. We'll um, quite go with that for the post. I'll workshop something. Yeah, I'll workshop something. From the twenty third. Yeah. On quite a contrasting change of tone and pace and vibe. Is it a fun one? We've got perfect days. Oh, that that is sweet. That does look very sweet. I didn't realise it wasn't a, to- a documentary. Oh, did you? No. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a drama, a sweet slice of life drama, mm. following a toilet cleaner in Tokyo. Is it the toilet film? It's it's the toilet film. To us, it's the toilet film. Mm. We've as as you know, we colloquially call it the toilet film. Don't go into it thinking it's just a film about toilets. No. though. I, I worried that through us as a giggle and calling it the toilet film internally, we've. Codename Toilet Film. <laughs> but however, in the trailer, there are many toilets. Yeah, and, and I have to say, toilets. a really interesting part of the film is yeah. seeing all these different Tokyo toilets um, that I'd previously only seen on those top toilets of Tokyo lists online. Don't ask yeah. me what I was looking at. See, them. Seeing them filmed in beautiful cinematography <laughs> around Tokyo toilets, they're really 
very there's something else yeah i want to go to the toilet there Would, do you want to clean them well if it makes it as happy as the as the person who's um yeah who's cleaning the toilets because he's a very jolly fella right yeah well, tinged with some melancholy uh, which becomes apparent over the course of the film and mm -hmm. you realize like you know why he's kind of taken himself out of the kind of life he was living before mm. into this quite um, modest kind of highly um, structured kind of routine each day. Um, I see. It's kind of like a ritualistic pattern of getting mm -hmm. up, listening to some music, having his breakfast, going to work, coming back, doing it all again. There's a kind of... Um, m monotony makes it sound like unpleasant, but it... It's like a ritual. Yeah, it, it's like an affirming monotony to each mm. day mm -hmm. um, in, in quite almost like a spiritual sense I worry I'm sounding pretentious now I sometimes feel like that at work mm. and I come in I feel like this most get days. my holdovers published oh I see I thought you meant pretentious no. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah yeah but yeah I get my holdovers published I go back home on the train the next day I come in, I do it all over again. I do it all over again. I and then I send stuff to print. There's a big sense of fulfilment, I think, in it, which, which the film also finds in his capturing his life. Yeah, just a perfect day. Drink sangria in the park, and then later, when it gets dark, we go home. I would say it's a huge return to form for Vim Vendors. I'm a huge Vendors fan. Oh yeah, fan. it's Vimothy Vendors. Yeah, as everyone knows, the Vim is short for him. Vim is short for Vimothy. Um, I'm a huge, huge fan of his early work. Like, you know, The American Friend, Wings of Desire, Paris, Texas. I, I, they're all like in my top 10 probably. Um, you know, Kings of the Road, amazing. Um, have you seen he's been in a fashion show recently? Yes. Oh my god. Was it Prada? Um, no, it was. Is it Yoji Yamamoto? Maybe. Either way, I saw him Makes on the sense. runway and he looked phenomenal. Yeah, and um, with, with a little moustache. Yeah, when I when I saw the film at um, LFF, he was meant to be there, I think, to introduce it in person, but it, he um, instead had pre-recorded a message because he just had an operation on his eye oh. because his um, he'd had like those lenses or whatever put in. Uh, um, quite a few years back I think and one had like dislodged and fallen into his eye okay. I think was how he described it mm. so they'd have to have it like picked out but either way it meant that A he couldn't be there in London and B he was wearing this like eye patch like a real pirate kind of thing and, and with the new haircut he has like the short hair he was, was he wearing really an eye patch in the vibe. fashion show 
maybe. I, I can't remember. It's I very cool. Not. He's very cool. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, so, some might say that he's had a recent spate of films that haven't quite gripped audiences mm. as as he once did. It, you know, barring his documentaries like Pina and Anselm. Was he Paris Texas? Yeah. Oh, yeah, um, which, I, which I half watched. Are you joking? Well, I was watching it on... Movie, and then I had one le- one day left to see it, and then I got halfway and I didn't watch it. I'll give you the Blu-ray. It's in my top four on that box. Thank you. It. I think it's Vendor's Vin- best work in in you know a good decade or more, perhaps Sweet. two decades. And it's also just a, a lovely time in the cinema. Do you know what I mean? It, I, obviously, I really like and um, you know I, th- I think films like The Settlers and and. Yeah, we've got some quite like that great. intense films. Um, but this is just like a sweet evening mm. sat there. And, you know, a, a contemplative... Contemplative. Contemplative. Yeah, thank you. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, and an amazing performance from the actor Koji Yakusho, who won Best Actor at Cannes. Yeah, such a smiley face. D- there's the just such a sense of... Oh, I don't know. Um, there's a real sparkle in his eye, mm. <laughs> which sounds corny when I say it, but there's something in his face that just has like unparalleled depths compared to anyone else's face. You just feel like there's you're just giggling at me now. I'm not giggling. I want you to finish your description of the glinty, i.e., smiley facey. He's just got a very good face. He does. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Closing out the month. <laughs> Feb 23rd to 25th, so just over the weekend, um, City of God is returning to cinema screens. Yes. Marcus anniversary. Yes. Um, I first watched this for the first time last year, actually. In, um, I don't know too much about this film. In a basement of a, of a bar. <laughs> in bar quite a makeshift setup. Yeah, was where oh, I watched it. where you it. watched it. Because um, it, it was one that I'd been, mean, you know, has been on watch this for like, 15 years I just mm. kind of hadn't got around to it and, it and it felt like a shame to watch it again on the TV but I was like uh, you know a screen in a bar basement is a good um, compromise if mm-hmm. it's not coming back to the cinema um, it's it's set in Rio yeah, in a f- quite notorious favela um, and it's this kind of epic chronicle of these uh, different like, gangs within the favela and it's got this such like frenetic approach to the filmmaking it's a real assault on the senses mm. Um, and it's highly like stylized. The camera movements are insane, and it's being um, re-released in cinemas for twentieth anniversary. Um, playing just for one weekend. Yes. Do come out and see it. I, for one, will definitely be revisiting it. There's just so much go- going on and the pace is such that mm. it, you kind of need to watch it twice. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're excited to watch it for your second time? Yeah, are you mm-hmm. going to come? Is it? Uh, do we have any weekday ones? Friday? Friday evening? Okay, 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 yeah. we can do a Friday evening. We can do a pint <laughs> on a Friday evening of City of God. It's a plan. Okay. Come join us. Yes. Podcast listeners. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> can we go see City of God together? Yeah, holding hands. You always take things a little too far. Oh, come on. Uh. <laughs> Thank you. That was that was Feb. That was Feb. It's a very intense month. Yeah. Yeah. 
There's but, a lot of quite like heavy topic films yeah. running throughout it, but all hugely impactful. Yeah. And you know some some hugely impressive filmmaking. You know, ranging from Glazer's masterwork, I would say, Zone of Interest. You know, mm. I think he's the one filmmaker working today that I feel you could, in some sense, see as a kind of heir to Kubrick. Wow. Which I will elaborate on if you find me in the bar <laughs> over a pint. So that's Feb. That is Feb. Very intense Feb. But Tickets available yeah. on the Watershed website. Right now. Exactly. For almost everything. Yeah, no, I think for everything that, we, that we've mentioned, yeah. Hey, yeah. look at that. We've really published that. a Yeah. This, is, this has been the Watershed Podcast. Oh. I have been Steph, Cinema Steph. I have been Steph from Comms. And now neither of us are Stephs, because the podcast is over. Exactly. It ceases to exist. And thank, thank you. you to Bernie. Thank you to Bernie, producer Bernie. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll talk to you next month. Mm-hmm.